Hey, have you got bare walls at home or in your office? Do you want to surround yourself with the majesty and inspiration of our mountains? I'm talking truly incredible photography of Western North Carolina landscapes. RedRockPhotoNC.com. Stay tuned for details. It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on, my friends? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate it. I appreciate the support from patrons as well, like Tim and John and Alan Daniel and Krista and another Daniel and Timbo and Sherry and Mary and Elk and Rebecca and Lou. Thanks so much. I could not do the show without you. They became patrons of the program by heading over to thepetecalendershow.com. It's got a link there. You can go directly to Patreon as well. Um, but uh, if you can't remember Patreon and searching for The Pete Callender Show, you just go to thepetecalendershow.com. I've got all the links there that you need in your life. And then uh, you can become a patron. You get access to the exclusive content. We do live streams together. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, oh, also the bumper stickers. Right. You get some bumper stickers. I'm also working on another item, uh, but that's under wraps for now. So, um the Buncombe County Commissioners, as expected, uh, they voted for this reparations resolution. They are not voting yet for direct cash payments to anybody. That's what reparations generally is understood to mean in the current discussion. Um, however, now it's kind of morphed into, shocker of shockers, more government programs and services. It's almost as if more government is the answer for all of the problems that Democrats identify. They voted four to three over the Republicans for this resolution. And here's the Asheville Citizen Times write up on it. They say in a split vote, Buncombe County government has joined Asheville City Council in passing a historic resolution apologizing for the county's role in slavery and supporting reparations for black people who live here. The measure, again, supporting reparations would be something that they want someone else to do. The federal government or the state government, somebody other than them, right? They're not going to be making any kind of direct payments, any kind of, you know, checks to be cut. But if somebody else wants to do it, they are totally in support of that. So, um, right, like literally there's like there's no there's no downside for this position, Right. From a political standpoint, there is no downside to this position. You get to pay the lip service, reap the benefits of the glowing headlines, and then just kind of move on and not have to worry about how do you actually pay for the benefits that, uh, or not the benefits, but the, the direct payments, right? So meanwhile, they say, hey, you know what, though, our version of reparations at the county level, we're just going to fund a bunch of stuff, programs and services and that sort of thing. Ironically enough, They'd already agreed to do some of these things. They had already said they were going to do this stuff, but I guess maybe seeing the 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 glowing headlines and the praise that the city of Asheville won for its reparations resolution, they're like, okay, let's sign on to that. Because it's basically just everything that we already agreed to do. And now it's like we're just working smarter, not harder, right? Let's just pass a resolution that says we're going to do the things that we already agreed to do, and then we'll get some really good headlines too. So, 
Uh, here is what the effort to is includes, and you can go to the uh, to the Patreon page. I've got all of this linked up there uh, as part of the Pete's prep uh, sheet. And so the effort is included, but not limited to, according to the Citizen Times write up, taking steps to reduce the opportunity gap in the local public school system. By the way, if you don't know what the opportunity gap is, it's the achievement gap. It used to be called the achievement gap, but then that was determined to be, I don't know, uh, offensive. Um, it was insensitive or something. And so they said, you know what, let's, let's not call it the achievement gap because that makes it sound like you did not achieve. So we'll call it the opportunity gap that somehow or another you were unable to have the opportunity that somebody else did to score the high score on your tests. And speaking of opportunities, I have an opportunity for you to get a new mattress. Zero down, 0% APR, also called zero interest, um, and zero payments for 90 days. It's all at Mattress Man stores. Uh, They've got four locations in the Asheville area, Asheville, Arden, Hendersonville. They do ship nationwide. They have local five-star delivery service and a 120-day comfort guarantee. But this is a great deal. Zero, zero, zero. It's the triple zero. Zero down, zero interest for two years, and zero payments for three months. Also, for $399, how about this hot deal to keep you cool? $399 for a queen gel memory foam mattress. That's an awesome deal. Also, you can get a free bedding bundle, including sheets, protectors, and pillows with the purchase of select mattresses. Get all of the details at mattressmanstores.com or walk on into any of their locations. Uh, And remember, they have the entire Biltmore collection by Restonic. Uh, You're not going to find this anywhere else. These are the beds that the Biltmore has at their hotel and inn. So uh, if you want to sleep in style, in luxury, this is where you go. Mattressmanstores.com. Experience the difference at Mattressman. Buy local and sleep better. What else is the... Uh, resolution going to do at the county level. Let's see. It's going to uh, increase black home ownership, business ownership, and other strategies to support upward mobility and build generational wealth. I, I am fine with that concept. I'm fine with like the idea that everybody, yeah, should try to own a home. I so I fully support that. Uh, starting up businesses, that's what built America. Small businesses are fantastic. I love them. I, I have one. And uh, other strategies to support upward mobility and build generational wealth. You know how you do that? Financial literacy. And I know like I sound like a broken record on this, but uh, you also tell people the ways to stay out of poverty because you cannot build generational wealth if you are in poverty. Kind of makes sense to me, right? Okay. How do you stay out of poverty? What are the ways to stay out of poverty? Everybody together now, right? Graduate high school, have a job, any job, and don't have kids before you get married and don't get married before you get out of school, right? Very simple, very simple concepts. In fact, these were sort of the 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 foundations upon which the society got built. And I know in today's day and age, that's considered to be, quote, whiteness or white culture, but those things, sociologically speaking, have been found to create the most generational wealth. And so if you want to stay out of poverty, I think we should tell people that. I think this should be part of the lessons that we instruct people. It used to be done by the churches, but okay, uh, government became the religion, and so now it's up to government to tell people that. Unfortunately, our government does not tell people these things. 
what else? Reducing disparities in healthcare and the justice system. They offer no guidance on how to do that. The resolution, I guess, what? Withhold medicine from white people, right? Withhold care from white people to bring it all down. You, you see very easily how the, this uh, equal outcome, the, this, the, the utopian socialist Marxist view of equal outcomes, you see how quickly it ends up in a place of everybody is poor, right? Because their focus on the disparity, which they say proves racism, right? That there is a disparity in the outcome, therefore there must be systemic racism. Um, they focus on that disparity and they're trying to equalize the outcome. And by doing so, what, what does it mean? Well, if you can't raise something up to a higher standard and you're trying to equalize, then what do you have to do? Right? You've got to reduce whatever's at that higher level. So if you have too many white people getting better, right? Too many white people with better health outcomes, then maybe we should start restricting their health outcomes, right? Their health access, right? Just to, right, for a level playing field is all. Um, and the justice system, we either turn people loose, don't charge them, or we have to start incarcerating a lot more whites. I think these are the answers. These are the obvious answers. Okay. The resolution also commits Buncombe County to participating in Asheville's Community Reparations Commission, which will help determine funding and give other recommendations for investments in education, home ownership, health care, and other areas with large racial disparities. In addition to slavery, the resolution apologizes for county policies that have held up or contributed to segregation, discrimination, and harm to black communities through centuries. Okay, that's the Citizen Times article. So, I did what a lot of people probably didn't want to do, was I sat and I watched the meeting twice. Uh, once to watch it, and the second time to cut up all the audio. So let's just get into it, right? We've got, um, well, first off, the resolution was drafted by the uh, Democrats, Amanda Edwards and uh, Jasmine Beach Ferrara, the uh, the white liberal women on the board. And I think that I think that that's important. For some reason, this strikes me as important. It's it's the white liberal women who are pushing this. And just like over on Asheville City Council as well, but whatever. Like this is what they drafted. Jasmine Beach Ferrara then introduces the measure for the vote. To me in many ways this resolution feels like a a, a natural and necessary companion to the resolution we just passed 7-0 a few minutes ago. That was declaring racism to be a public health crisis. That passed seven to zero and then it was promptly used against the republicans <laughs> to try to get them to support this resolution on reparations which by the way they did not it was a four to three vote naming uh, racism as both a public health and public safety crisis um, i think naming it as such is a really critical step in the moment we're in um and the other piece of that is talking much more honestly and forthrightly about how we came to a time in 2020 where racism continues to be such a crisis. This is the thing. You're actually not interested in having this conversation. This this is the thing about the left and all of this anti-racism movement. They're not actually interested in having a conversation or discussion. What they are interested in is telling you what they want you to do. Okay? That's what they're interested in. They're not interested in in having the discourse. If they were, their resolution would sound a whole lot different than it did. I'll get to that in a minute. And that story really starts with the earliest days of the colonies and the earliest days of our country and our community. Um, black people in America have been 
calling for reparations for centuries. Um, and although there have at various times been moments where there's been response to that call on the whole, we haven't yet as a country responded in the way that I believe we have an opportunity but also an obligation to do so. Um, there are some votes where I pray a lot more beforehand, and this is one of them. Um, and as a minister in particular, I've thought a lot about um, what my faith teaches me about sin and uh, atonement and how you try to make amends. All right. <sighs> does Christianity demand atonement for sins one does not commit? Does, does, does your faith demand that I atone for something I did not do? Right? Um, now, I get it. Jesus died for our sins. So it seems like this is what Ferrara is referring to, that Jesus' atonement was a substitutionary death, right? That he substituted himself for us. And so, you know, he didn't commit the sins of man, but he died to atone for them, okay? Which is actually consistent because so many white progressives have obvious savior complexes, right? Like, they're putting themselves in the place of Jesus here to say, we shall atone for the sins of others, right? That this is a substitutionary atonement. And I'm not aware of anywhere else, you know, any other teachings that say that this is appropriate. You're robbing somebody of their their opportunity for atonement. And I understand that all these people are dead, like the people who engaged in the slave trade and such. Like, they're all dead. There's nothing we can do about... Uh, making them atone for it. But what do we say? Do I need to, so what, I need to somehow atone for the sins of others. Um, and I normally don't get into the theological aspects of this stuff, but she cited her, her you know, the fact that she's a minister, and um, she's, you know, citing Christianity, ostensibly, although she doesn't specifically reference Christ, I would assume she purports to be a Christian minister. She went to Duke Divinity School, so I assume that. Um, but this is one of the things, by the way, that a lot of lefty uh, ministers engage in, right? They, just like Reverend William Barber, right? Because they know that the evangelical right knows their Bible. And so they use the Bible in a way to try to get them to agree to more government, which is what she's doing here, right? That we need to expand government to atone for the sins of people who lived 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago. 400 years ago, right? The difference with Jesus's atonement and this reparation idea is that once Jesus was crucified and rose again, our sins were washed away, right? The price got paid. See, that's what true atonement means. You atone for the sins, you are forgiven, and it's washed away. The, this reparations resolution, these, the, these, this does not do that, okay? This is not some sort of atonement for a sin, and then you are forgiven, right? There is, there is no offer being made of forgiveness. This is, so it's not even really atonement. It's not genuine atonement. What it is, is self-flagellation. That's what, it's self-punishment, right? That's what's occurring, is we are going to punish ourselves in order to atone because we feel like we need to do this to prove to you that we are really sorry for something someone else did. And that's, of course, assuming that they're actually thinking they're personally going to have to pay 
for all of the atonement here, right? <laughs> Which I'm not so sure. Maybe they do, but I'm not so sure. Uh, in those moments. Um, and also what it teaches us about the work we need to do to repair those breaches that happen. Um, and I think as a, as a community, as a society, that is what I think we're being called to do in this moment, um, is to speak more honestly than we have, to apologize for sins of the past, to name sins of the present, um, and to get very serious in our souls, our spirits, our heart, uh, uh, and with the resources available to us as a community about repairing that harm. Okay. So repairing the harm or repairing the breach, which, by the way, um, Eric Soderstrom the other day did a write-up on uh, the repairers of the breach. This is Reverend William Barber's nonprofit, uh, the guy from the Moral Monday movement and all that. He did a write-up on, went and found his... uh, his IRS forms and stuff and found out that like uh, basically that entire organization uh, is run off of government grants, like 98% or something or 99% of all there's still something ridiculous like that. 90, 96% of all of their income comes from government grants. So taxpayers are footing the bill for Reverend Barber's leftist activism, which I know that's probably a huge shock to you, right? You never would have thought that, right? What shouldn't be a shock to you is the importance of your website. You know it's important to your business, right? You know it it needs to turn up in search engine results. You want it to look professional. You want it to be user-friendly. And you probably don't know a lot about how to do that. So uh, why don't you let my friend Schaefer Smith help you out? Schaefer Smith Design. Great design can actually solve a lot of your website's problems. Professional services, corporate, small business, entrepreneurs, Schaefer Smith can help you with graphics and photos. He can build out an online store, a search engine optimization program, website maintenance, and security. He does logos. He did my logo. Go to SchaeferSmith.com and get the most out of your website. That's SchaeferSmith.com. All right, so next up is Brownie Newman, the Board of County Commissioners chairman, and his comments on the reparations resolution. I think it's interesting that in the community conversation that we've been having about the issue of Confederate monuments on public land. We sometimes hear from those who support preserving them in place that that we have to remember our past. Yet when we talk about the idea of community reparations, we oftentimes hear people say, slavery happened a long time ago. It's not relevant anymore, and we should focus on the future. All right, so just... Uh, this is everything you really need to know about Brownie Newman. He starts off his comments with a totally dishonest framing of the salient point, right? This is a meme. What he just said, this is a meme that the left uses. The preserve history versus get over our past. Oh, what's the matter? You want to keep the monuments to preserve the history, but you don't want to learn about the history of the slavery and all. This is the meme from the left, okay? But what it does is, this is why it's so dishonest, is it conflates two different arguments and it attaches them by only a single thread. The single thread that attaches them is what? Remembering history, forgetting history, right? Your memory of history. That's it. That's all. That's the only thread that connects these two positions because a logical and an honest construct would actually call for monuments for victims of slavery to be placed in prominent places, right? That would be the honest corollary, right? If you are advocating for monuments in order to remember what occurred, then you would want more monuments 
uh, to commemorate what occurred, to memorialize these things and to make sure people don't forget. This is why you know, I have endorsed this very idea of having more monuments. Like, for example, there is the uh, museum down in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, uh, that commemorates all of the victims of lynching. And they have uh, these uh, they have these monuments that are available to all counties that had reported incidents of lynching. And so you can and they've got two. So like one stays at the museum and then one would go to the county and Buncombe County has one. There were three victims of lynching in Buncombe County that were that at least were recorded and their names are on this monument. Why don't we go ask for the monument? How about we install that thing? We don't even have to pay for it, right? We don't even have to build it. It's already built. It's done. It's hanging in the, um, like they literally hang them. It's it's a really powerful uh, exhibit. Um, and they, they hang these huge markers, these slab markers from the ceilings. And, um, and as you walk towards them, the ground sort of uh, goes down. It's like a ramp down. And so as you approach, they rise up. It's very... Uh, it's very powerful. Anyway, why don't we ask for some of those monuments? How about we get how about we get that? Right? The the honest construct would say monuments for victims of slavery should be placed in prominent places, maybe even next to the Confederate monuments, right? One is an argument to preserve statues. The other seeks to redistribute large amounts of wealth. They are not related arguments. The only thing that ties them together is that both of them are based off of a historical connotation, right? That's it. Um, All right, let's play the rest of it here. Black and white people have lived together in America for 400 years. For the first 250 of those years, most African Americans were enslaved. For the 100 years after that, racial segregation and discrimination were central to our nation's legal framework. Black people who worked for change faced violence and often death at the hands of whites who were determined to preserve their dominant position in our society. That legacy of 350 years of institutionalized slavery and discrimination are still with us today. By shutting out black people from participating in education and the economy, black people have never been able to benefit from the financial prosperity enjoyed by whites. The average black family in the United States owns financial assets with a total value of just $17,000. The average white family has 10 times that amount. I participated in a training session for Buncombe County staff this past week conducted by the Racial Equity Institute. It was profound in many ways. One of the insights that I took away is that the common perception that racism is simply a result of people being uneducated is really not correct. Unfortunately, it's much more pervasive than that. The REI staff shared the results of academic studies that have been conducted by universities across our country to explore the role of race in hiring practices in our country. Several studies involved researchers submitting resumes to businesses around the country that were advertising for open positions in their companies. The resumes that were sent out were essentially identical in education and experience. The only difference was that some of the applications had names associated with blacks and others had names associated with whites. 
The result was that the businesses called back the black applicants at a far lower rate than white applicants. These results were consistent when the studies were conducted in large cities, small towns, and rural areas, as well as from all the different regions of the country. All right, let me stop for a moment because <clears throat> I, I, I am aware of these studies. This was also explored at length in the book Freakonomics uh, years ago. Um, so a couple things. How do you square this uh, story, this anecdote that he's going through, this research, that um, how do you square that with what we talked about the other day, last week, about this culture of whiteness, right? That the like the the Smithsonian Museum posted this stuff, and the the white fragility and the anti racism people, and that's the, this this organization REI, the Racial Equity Institute, it's no different, right? Like their existence relies upon them finding racism so they can cure it. Although they do these seminars, and I don't think they've ever cured anybody of their racism because it's it's structural, right? It's systemic; it can never be cured. Um, so they make money off of this being a problem. Uh, so you should always kind of keep that in the back of your mind. But how does this square this idea that uh, you're going to you're, you're going to cite these businesses that say uh, or, you know, that like you get these resumes, they're identical resumes. And one name is a uh, is a white name and one name is a black name. Right. Whatever that means. So you get these resumes and they call back the white people and not the black people. OK. Why is that? How does that square? You, you say it's racism. OK. So how does that square then with the idea that there is a, quote, white culture? And that the whiteness uses what things like uh, punctuality, politeness, right? Like these are the things that were cited by the Smithsonian, which was using the stuff from these anti-racist organizations uh, like Robin DiAngelo and the white fragility people. Like this is what they cited as a characteristic of the, quote, white culture of whiteness. If you're a business and are you, would you prefer certain cultural aspects be exhibited by your employees this is what john mccorder was talking about the columbia professor this is what he's talking about why this is so damaging why it's infantilizing it's and it's offensive actually it's a different form of racism that you're you're saying that you shouldn't be doing these things like be on time uh you shouldn't speak politely right like you shouldn't do these things because that's the culture of whiteness. And so you're going to teach people not to do these things, and then you're going to hamstring them. So now they can't get the jobs. Now they can't participate fully in a society. It's the same sort of thing that's actually at the heart of like the whole voter ID thing, right? You have one, pe one group of people that is uh, pretending, I submit, to, uh, to be all about and be focused on uh, not oppressing black people, and so you can't ask for their IDs. And so, well, what are you saying, that, that you don't need an ID? Oh, well, no, we're not saying that. Well, you kind of are saying that, because to fully function in our society, you need to have an ID. There's so much you need the ID for. So you're saying that they're, what, incapable of getting an ID? See what I mean? You don't have to peel the layers back very far to start getting into some to some kind of racisty assumptions about people. And I'm not sure that the folks on the left even understand what it is that they're saying and how this stuff can actually be interpreted this way. Because that's what I hear. When I hear like, oh, well, we shouldn't expect more of them. Why? You expect more of everybody else. So you're saying that, you're going to hold them to a lower expectation based on the color of their skin. 
because you think that that somehow means that they can't, because of their skin color, they cannot meet a higher expectation? Like, that's a racisty principle, right? That's an argument that a racist makes. All right, back to the chairman, Brownie Newman, who I'm sure has no idea that this is kind of how he sounds. <clears throat> and the results were similar for small companies, medium-sized businesses, as well as larger corporations. It's just one example of how racial preconceptions and prejudice still permeate our society. The civil rights movement is not over. We still have a lot of work to do. So what might community reparations look like in Buncombe County? I certainly do not have all the answers. I'm a white person and have had more advantages than most, even among white people. True. It's Very important true. for us to listen more than talk. <laughs> My starting point perspective is we need to do more so that black families can build interger intergenerational wealth in the way that most white families do. For example, there's now a wider gap in home ownership rates between whites and blacks than in 1968. What happened in 1968? What occurred in the mid-60s and really got ramped up in the, uh, by 1968? Oh, I, I'm going to answer this question for you in a bit, but let's let him finish. The number, of black -owned fam the number of black owned businesses in Buncombe County has declined and is very low relative to the population. I would like to see significant new investments to support black families that want to pursue home ownership and people who want to start their own businesses. <clears throat> businesses. The long-term impacts of discrimination cannot be solved by local government alone, but there are many things that we can do to create positive change from our role in public education, and health services to reform of criminal justice and public safety. These are hard issues, and they are among the most important. They will require a serious, sustained, and collaborative effort. So for all those reasons, I'm supporting the resolution. One of the things that was not mentioned, either in the resolution or by any of the county commissioners, you know what it was? The Democratic Party, which is weird because four of them are Democrats. The Democratic Party. After all, if if the point of all of these resolutions is to atone, is to admit the sins, adopt culpability for those sins, why would Democrats not apologize for their own party's role in oppressing blacks for almost four centuries? Because they were predominantly, I mean, they were the party that ran the show in the Southeast Right. They were North Carolina. They were the party that controlled our state government. They enacted all the Jim Crow laws. Right. They were the ones that seceded. These were all Democrats. They have been the Klan Democrats. Right. All of these all the statues that they're tearing down, they're all Democrat statues. Right. So I just find it really interesting that the people who are calling everybody else to atone for the sins of the white people in the past, they don't carve out just a sentence, just a mention they don't take any opportunity to just say, oh, and by the way, the Democratic Party, right, was was sort of the uh, sort of integral to making this uh, happen. No, they, they never mentioned it. I, I wonder why. Um, also, um, oh, by the way, I would say that this is why they call it cultural and systemic as well, because if you call it cultural uh, or, or sorry, structural. If you call it structural racism, you call it systemic racism, then you get to skirt your own party's responsibility, right? Um, also not mentioned 
the deaths of all of the Union soldiers. I wonder why that never gets mentioned in any of these discussions, these honest and overdue discussions, right? There were hundreds of thousands who died, uh, a lot of them of disease. I think it was like two out of three soldiers died of disease. Two percent of the population died during the Civil War. If you were to look at that, um, if you were to, you know, by today's standards, that would be six million people died in that war. Most of them were from the North. More more Union soldiers die than Confederates, okay? And uh, so there's about 360,000 plus dead from the Union side. So do their heirs get some sort of an indulgence here? Do their heir? I mean, they literally paid with their lives to free people. Does that count? Does that go somewhere in the ledger books? Or does that get washed away? Does that get ignored for some reason? And if so, what is the reason? I would very much like to know. Well, because that was just the Civil War and that was so long ago. Well, like, what's the explanation? They're not having that as part of the discussion. That's never mentioned. This, you know, community discussion, this conversation never includes the price that was paid by 360,000 people. That What about those bloodlines, that next of kin, right? All of their heirs, right? They all were deprived of that intergenerational wealth that could have been accumulated too does that go in the ledger like i'm genuinely asking this question because i don't know the answer because nobody talks about this stuff they claim to want this open honest discussion yet for some reason they ignore some really big outstanding issues which makes me wonder if they're actually interested in the thing that they say they are interested in now if you are interested in how about medical supplies and kits? How about body armor? How about face masks? How about uh, real military surplus? It is all at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. He's got an expanded li- uh, uh, line of uh, first aid kits, medical supplies, and he's got body armors of all kinds. These are made to NATO specs. These are in-store or over-the-phone purchases only. And he has face masks that are made out of military parachutes, so they're lightweight and soft, and they're made by a local family uh, disabled veteran. And so uh, really good folks to uh, to help support. Uh, also, as I mentioned, tons of real U.S. military surplus. For more than three decades, Old Grouch's military surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde. The shop is open Monday through Saturday across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. Oh, and tell them that uh, you heard it here on the show. I'd appreciate that. (laughs) Um, All right. So the first Republican to speak on this issue of reparations was Anthony Penlin, who uh, is filling the uh, the rest of the term, the the, yeah, the uh, unexpired term of uh, Commissioner Mike Fryer, who passed away um earlier i want to say earlier this year um and so anthony penland spoke on this we all have received emails both for and i'm sure that we've received them for both against and voicemails and when you hear reparations it's making amends for a wrong by paying and i spoke to two people over the last week and they're, they're, they're worried that property tax is going to go up and someone is going to write a check and these folks are out of work because of the current situation we're in. 
Now, reading the resolution, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that someone's going to get a check. It looks like we're going to look at programs. One of the things in the resolution, it says, whereas Buckingham County has a leadership role in supporting economic development, public education, health care in our community, and must assure this vital work is carried out, and this is the important part, so all people, all people have an equal opportunity to thrive and that no part of our community is left behind. That is, that's, that's a good statement. The issue is, is that the city of Asheville formed a commission and they want us to join with their commission, but the people of Buncombe County, they formed a commission as well. And it's called the Buncombe County Commissioners. And you six, along with Commissioner Mike Fryer, you already saw this was happening in this county and you put it into what we call the strategic plan. It's, it's already there. You even quoted your strategic plan in here. So you've already, you've already done that. I voted for the, the resolution earlier because I had the opportunity to speak to three staff members and ask some very good questions. We don't treat people but the way things are going. But I'm looking from August 4th, 2020, moving forward. If we could amend this resolution in such a way so that those folks who are scared about the word reparations, but I can't support this in the way it is because in my belief is that you've already identified. Our staff, we have a committee already, they're called the Buncombe County staff, which are the finest. I haven't met all of them, but the ones I have met are the finest in the land. They're already working on this. They are already identifying some of this here and they are already working. So I would say let's expand and invest in the strategic plan and let's not pass another piece of paper because that's how we feel like we should do it today when the fact that we've already identified this and, and passed a, a plan that already moves us forward. And let's let's look at, at that. So this argument obviously does not win. He's uh, both of them, all of them, I should say, all three of the Republicans, they tried to make this argument basically that Al Whitesides made. Al Whitesides, the commissioner, he's the only African-American on the Board of County Commissioners. This was his original argument a couple weeks ago. Al Whitesides was saying, we already put all this stuff in our strategic plan. So now the Republicans are saying, we already put all this stuff in our strategic plan. But Whitesides flipped. And uh, within about a week or so, he is now a passionate proponent of this reparations effort. You know, when we talk about reparations, or let's go back, when we talk about race in this country, it's the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Nobody wants to discuss it. But folks, let me tell you, coming from a black man, that what just I've gone through in my life, and look, I've been, fair, I've been fairly successful, but with systemic racism, I've never been reminded so much as who I am, as I am today. When I go around speaking to a group and somebody tells me, you know, for a black man, you're smart. You know, I mean, and think that's a compliment. I would want, I, I, sorry, I really would like to know more of that story. Somebody recently came up to you. I, I have no doubt that somebody probably in his life has said that. I would like to know, did somebody really recently come up and say, you're smart for a black guy? Like, 
okay, that's racist. That guy, whoever said that, that would be a racist. I don't know if that means that there is systemic racism. I think that guy's a racist, so you should call that person out for being a racist. And I think that's how you help solve some racism. I don't know. I'm just I'm just spitballing. When I hear my daughters who are well-educated, both graduated from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, one has a master's and Ph.D. Both are doing well. But when I listen to what they go through today, and, you know, for me, this road started here in Asheville when I was 15 years old. So we have to go back in order to close the loop to go forward, folks. Because if we don't leave the baggage behind and admit what's happened, we will not be able to solve the problems. And, you know, the reparation, the word, yeah, it frightens a lot of people. But sometimes to get over the hump, so to speak, or to be successful, we need to be frightened. And, you know, when we talk about property tax and almost the $400 million we pay in property tax, that's for all of the people in Buncombe County. And I don't feel that those of us in the black community are always getting our value for our property tax. All right, hang on a second. You're a county commissioner. You and the Democratic majority, you got, these are your decisions. You know, you're looking for the systemic racism, and now you're lamenting that you're not getting value for the property taxes that are collected. Oh, gosh, if only there was some way you could control that. Oh, my gosh, you do. You control that. You're the majority. And my family has been paying property tax in this county since the 50s. You know, we didn't, you know, dad worked three jobs so that he could buy his first house. But what I want to say is, though, when we talk about reparations, this is needed. And what we're doing, we've got it, sure, in our strategic plan. But we've got to do more than the strategic plan to show the community that we mean business and set an example. And I agree. I push back on the Asheville because I wanted us to do our own and then come to the table because we represent the county and not, you know, just the city. But, folks, we owe it to ourselves, to our children, to our grandchildren. It's time to leave the baggage behind. It's time I don't want to see my grandsons have to put up with what I've gone through. But you know what's unfortunate when we talk about systemic racism? I have to talk to my grandsons, two who are adults now, and one who's entering the ninth grade, the same way that my dad and granddad talk to me about what happens if I'm stopped by police. Um, is it possible that maybe that's part of the problem, is that there's no, there's been no update to what you're telling your kids about what to do if they're stopped by police? And by the way, every parent should tell their kids what to do when you're stopped by police, right? You obey what you obey the lawful orders. You ask them to answer their questions. You provide the uh, driver's license, their registration. You keep your hands on the wheel. You turn the light on, turn the engine off. Like these are the things that you should do to put the cop at ease so they don't think you're trying to do them harm. That should be universal. You know, I here see classes in our high schools at Asheville High today, and I hear of teachers 
who don't want to, want to exclude African-American kids out of their classes because they said they're too difficult to deal with. You know, all of that is systemic racism, folks. And we have got to have the guts as commissioners to take, to, if we're going to be leaders, we've got to take the leadership. And that's why people put us in this position. And it's not always going to be comfortable. I've gotten the calls, too, you know, and I've talked to a lot of people about it. But, folks, I've gotten these calls, and I've had this fight for all my life. So I guess for me it's something I'm used to. I'm used to seeing what happens. You know, and when I walk into places, even here in Asheville, and some of them you would think it well-known as I am, huh, I'm still the black man in the room a lot. And if you know how it is when you walk in and if I've got blue jeans on and my tennis shoes and somebody goes around me to wait on somebody who's white and then said, oh, Commissioner, I didn't recognize you. And you tell me it's not systemic racism in this town? And we've got to deal with it. You know, I have dealt with it. I'll tell you, I'll be the first to admit I'm racist as racist as hell. Wait, what? But He's, wait, what? You're racist? I've learned how to deal with it. Oh, could you tell us how you dealt with it? Maybe we could teach other people that, that technique. Because it's when I came up and what I've had to go through. Uh, it's a wonder that every black man in America my age is out there in the street saying, I'm going to burn the place down because of what they've gone through. But why don't but they? we're not that way because we want to see changes. We want to see our kids, our grandkids and all be successful. And He's not actually explaining why they're not behaving the way he says he would expect everyone to behave. It's not actually an, ex an explanation. Most of all, give black people in this country a level playing field. That's all we're asking for. If you give us the opportunity, we will take it from there. So here's the deal. They want reparations. He says they live a level playing field. And so we can deal with this once and for all, right? That's not what reparations does, however. Um, in his 2000 book, Losing the Race, Self-Sabotage in Black America, Columbia University professor John McWhorter takes up this point. Um, and I'll explain what that is in a minute. First, if you are trying to keep your business or home protected, or maybe you're a real estate agent, you want to uh, you want to keep the the houses clean for the showings, but you don't know how to do it in these COVID times, I've got the answer. It's the Karcher Misting System with Vital Oxide Disinfectant and General Equipment Rental in Weaverville is your source for it. Okay, you need this Mister System. It's safe for kids and pets food contact surfaces. Um, it uses an all-in-one hospital-grade EPA-approved germicidal disinfectant, sanitizer, and deodorizer that kills 99.9% .9 of infection-causing bacteria and viruses like E. coli, MRSA, H1N1, norovirus, influenza B, as well as the coronavirus. There's no rinse required, non-toxic, hypoallergenic, odorless, colorless, and 100% biodegradable. And it's uh, it works on mold, mildew, and fungus as well. So uh, head on over to generalrinse.com. And if you use the uh, website generalrents.com forward slash Pete, you'll get a coupon for two free cloth face coverings. 
General Equipment Rental in Weaverville, family-owned and operated for three generations, generalrents.com. Think outside your toolbox. And so in this book, Losing the Race, by John McWhorter, the Columbia University professor, he argued that in most cases, racism is not an obstacle to people being the best they can be. He has long argued that reparations have already been given, actually, under the auspices of the Great Society, programs that were designed by LBJ in 64 and 65, ostensibly to eliminate poverty and racial injustice. The cost of the Great Society is estimated to be roughly $22 trillion, which, by the way, is not nearly what you will be charged uh, for if you get a uh, piece of wall art from Red Rock Photography. Yeah, it's true. No, it's really affordable artwork that's beautiful. It's striking. Red Rock Photography, redrockphotonc.com. These are all photos of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Stacy Redman is the photographer. He's from Western North Carolina, shooting landscapes for two decades and it's amazing and easily affordable uh, pieces of art that can brighten up uh, your new home or your existing home maybe even your cubicle at work does anybody even work in a cubicle anymore see for yourself at redrockphotonc.com redrockphotonc.com use the promo code pete for 20 percent off redrockphotonc.com So McWhorter also cautions people who demand reparations to think about what that looks like afterwards, which is never part of this conversation either. McWhorter says everybody, including blacks, and by the way, John McWhorter is black. He says everybody would then have to acknowledge and have to admit that America had turned a corner, that we've come to terms, right? We agree on these terms and then it's over. Right. That's what it means. He suspects, as I do, that a lot of people who are making these demands will actually not be willing to recognize that we turned a corner or came to terms. And uh, by the way, as proof of this, I would submit to you Al Whitesides. We can't keep putting it off and we can't say and, you know, I'm sorry if reparation scares people, but it's time to wake up, you know. And when we talk about reparation, sure. I don't want to see him give me a dollar, you know, because you can't, it's no way you can pay any African-American, just one family, for the, what they have gone through for generations. Money won't repay it, no. But we can put in place the laws and do the things that will level a playing field like we're doing within our in our strategic plan so again see he makes the argument that uh, two arguments number one that uh no reparations and whatever you're doing this is not going to satisfy us right this is not about coming to terms this is just about more government programs and services which is his second point that oh by the way we already approved all of this stuff in our strategic plan so uh, which is actually the Republicans' argument. We've already approved all of this. Why are we doing it again? It's about the headlines. It's about feeling good. It's about the election cycle. It's about standing in allyship. Now, if I wanted to be uh, offensive about it, I could say, uh, well, you're centering this around yourselves because you're white people. That's what you're doing. The white county commissioners, they're centering themselves in this discussion. That's another way that uh, the anti-racism crowd, that's how they uh, get people to shut up, is as soon as you start offering an opinion about the topic being discussed, you're now, quote, centering yourself, and you should be uh, shut down, silenced, and marginalized. 
Yeah, it really is a, a loving and kind kind of approach to dialogue. Now, speaking of good approaches, Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, a fantastic approach to getting homes sold quickly and for more money. They basically have, like a lot of realtors in the COVID era, they started having to do virtual walkthroughs and stuff. Rowena and her team have been doing that for years, okay? They, like, pioneered this stuff. 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com is the website. Phone number again, 333-4483. Uh, she's part of this community. And she happens to be an awesome real estate agent. She outsells 99% of the realtors in North Carolina. She is the only agent that I would choose to buy or sell a house. Christy and I, we are getting ready to do just that. And uh, so we've already called her and uh, she's gotten us in touch with her mortgage guy and the process is underway and I'll keep you posted on how it goes. She's the only official Homes for Heroes agent in Asheville. This is a national program giving buyers and sellers 25% back from realtor commissions. This goes to police officers, firefighters, healthcare professionals, educators, and members of the military, veterans, active duty, and retired. Uh, So if you are in any of those professions, keep more of your own money. Call Rowena Patton. Buying or selling. 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. So finally, uh, Joe Belcher, county commissioner, he said he would be willing to put up like a million dollars in taxpayer money, of course, a million dollars, a quarter of it to go to home buyer education, another quarter of it for down payment assistance, and half a million for black businesses to survive the COVID-19 pandemic. Targeted government funding programs based on race. First question I have is, is that legal? (laughs) The second question is, would that classify as reparations of some kind? Does it? Does that kind of a program classify as reparations? Because it sounds like the Buncombe County Commissioners, what they're describing in what they want to do is something along those lines. Race-based programs by government. Is that legal? I guess we're all going to find out. That's a wrap for this episode. I appreciate it. Don't break anything while I'm gone.